As we continue today, uh, we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Uh, We've been working through this series slow and steady since January. We've got about a month left as we keep working through. We're in chapter 14. There's 16 chapters in in, in the book of 1 Corinthians. And for the last few weeks, Paul has been dealing with this issue of spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are something specifically given to a believer by the Holy Spirit. So here's what happens when you become a follower of Jesus. Some of you here this morning maybe have not made the decision to commit your lives to and to follow Jesus. If that's the case, then this is something that, that um, would not necessarily be true for you. You wouldn't have gone through this process. Many of you, most of you, have decided at some point in time to surrender your life and to follow Jesus. We come to the foot of the cross and we say, you know what? I am a sinner and I need to be saved. We're all sinners. We're all in need of salvation, right? And what happens is we come to the cross and we say, Jesus, I need you to save me. I'm going to turn my life over to you and I'm going to follow you. The Bible tells us that when that happens, when we do that, that we are what is called born again. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that, that the old life that we used to live kind of melts away. It dies. And it's replaced with a new life in Jesus. And that new life in Jesus, right, is empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit of God, when you are made new, gives you what we call a spiritual gift. And that spiritual gift is something that exists not for your benefit, but for the benefit of the church. That's what Paul tells us in in, in, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 a couple of weeks ago. uh, As we read that, we we saw that the church in Corinth, people were getting a, a little bit frustrated. Some of them were getting jealous and some of them were getting arrogant because of the spiritual gifts that they had. Some had what we would consider more popular gifts, more visible gifts. Some had more behind the scenes or private gifts. And and those with the behind the scenes gifts were getting a little jealous of the ones that were more upfront. Some people with the more upfront gifts were getting arrogant because their gifts made them more prominent. And Paul says, you guys are looking at this all wrong. He says, you got to knock this off. The gifts are given by the Holy Spirit and they're not given for you. They're given for the body of the church, for the body of Christ. And it's your job to build up the body. And then in chapter 13, he says, but, but here's the problem. You're so worried about gifts that you've forgotten this most excellent, most important thing. And that is love. Right? And we dug in last week to the love chapter. How we really are supposed to be. First and foremost, forget about your spiritual gift. Forget about that. Forget about whether or not you are um, more important in a Sunday morning than somebody else. Forget about whether you're jealous. Forget about whether you're arrogant. Forget about all of it. And just excel at loving one another. Love one another first and foremost. And if you love one another, then you're going to be in great shape. Right? And then now we get to chapter 14 where he is specifically going to start to address some of the gifts. And what they're for and how they show up on a Sunday morning. How they show up in corporate worship. Okay? But first and foremost, I want you to remember that what he has said is that all gifts have value. All gifts are given by the Holy Spirit. 
We aren't to be jealous of gifts we don't have, and we aren't to be arrogant about gifts that we do have, and love always comes first. With that understanding very clearly in, in our foreground, then he's going to go on and he's going to talk about specifically the gift of prophecy and the gift of speaking in tongues. So here's what we're going to do in chapter 14. We're just going to pretty methodically work through what Paul says. Some of it you may resonate with and you may say, hey, I really like what Paul says there. Some of it you may like, ah, I don't like it. Well, here's the deal. I didn't write it. I'm just telling you what Paul says. And this is what we have to deal with when it comes to spiritual gifts. Okay? Some of you here in this church, uh, between, here's the deal, between first, second, I'm sorry, first service, second service, those that will watch online right now or over the course of the week, there's probably 300 or so of you that are going to be tuning in to this message at some point in time uh, before we gather again next Sunday. Of the 300 or so of you, I'd venture to say that probably 10 to 20% of you will tell me I can speak in tongues. Listen, I ain't mad at you. I would imagine another chunk of you will tell me that I have the spiritual gift of prophecy. Listen, good on you. I'm not mad at you, right? The gift of tongues, the gift of prophecy are spiritual gifts that we believe still exist today. We are not, as a body, as a church, we are not what we would call cessationists. We don't believe they have ceased. However, we do believe right? That there is a proper time, place, and order to exercise these gifts. And that's what Paul is starting to talk about in chapter 14. Because in the church in Corinth, people had gotten crazy. They had gotten ecstatic. They had started to go out of their way to be over the top and to stir themselves up into a frenzy and become extra emotional in moments that didn't require emotion. Now, I know that worshiping God and watching football are different things. I get it. But in the context of watching football, I'm very excited for the Bears. Because they drafted a quarterback. We're together. You and I. We'll talk after the service. We'll, we'll break it down. But here's the thing. I'm very excited for the Bears because they drafted a quarterback. The Bears are really historically very awful at quarterback. Like, when I say historically, I mean epic. Epically bad at quarterback. But they drafted one. Also, as a side note, it seems like the Packers are just falling apart, which makes me happy too. But that's a whole other thing. Right? But, but so I'm anticipating that there will be a moment in the fall where I will be watching the Bears play. And Justin Fields is going to do a thing. Right? He's going to drop back. He's going to roll around. They're going to try to tackle him. He's going to say, no, because you can't do that. I'm Justin Fields. And he's going to roll out and he's going to throw like a 60-yard dart down the sideline and somebody's going to catch it. It's going to be a touchdown. I am going to act accordingly and get excited. I'm probably going to stand up. I'm probably going to shout some things. I'm probably going to make some noises. I'm probably going to wake Carrie up from the nap that she's taking in the recliner next to me. It's going to be an appropriately emotional response in the context of the football game. And she will be okay with that, even though I woke her up. If I do that every time somebody runs for two yards and falls down, she's going to get annoyed. 
Right? The point is, there is a time in the context of the football game, there is a time for that emotionality. Right? That's genuine and that flows from what's happening. And then there's a time where I'm just forcing it and I'm making it about me. It's no different in the church. In the church service, and what was happening in Corinth is there was a time for the emotionality because God was doing a thing. And it just flowed. And then there was a time when the, the Christians in Corinth decided they would just make it all about them. And they would just force it. We do that sometimes, right? Only we use the extra things to force it. Some of you, man, some of you today, the, there were no drums and no electric guitar. And you were like, oh, I'm so sad that there were no drums and no electric guitar. Because I love drums and I love electric guitar. And some of you saw that there was no drums and no electric guitar. And you were like, yes, back to real worship. I get it. We're different, right? But, but sometimes we need, like, it feels like we need some of those extra things to force the emotionality of the issue. But do you realize the words of the songs that we sang? Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. Because a great high priest whose name is love ever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. It is written on his heart. And I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. And when Satan bids me to despair and tells me of all of the guilt within, upwards I look and I see him there who made an end to all of my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free in Christ, right? His justice is satisfied because he looks on him and he pardons me. Like, like we sing this song, if ever there is in a time for emotionality, it's when we come face to face with what God does and has done for us. There are moments when we should be emotional in church. And it's appropriate. Because God does a thing. Right? But, but, but the Christians in Corinth weren't getting this. They, they were making this about them and not about God. And so we need to walk through 1 Corinthians 14 as Paul starts to unpack this. Right, so go ahead and open your Bibles if you've got them handy. If you don't have one, there should be one in one of the chairs in front of you. If you don't have one at home, just take that home with you. Um, but uh, go ahead and open up and let's dig in together. We're just going to walk through this. We're going to hit 25 verses today. And we'll hit the rest of chapter 14 next week. Today we're going to talk specifically about tongues and prophecy. What they're for and how to value them appropriately in the church. Next week, we're going to talk about how they get used within the context of a church service. Specifically, we'll talk about why we do it the way we do it here at Blessed Hope. Okay, so if you're curious about how we do it and why we do it the way we do it at Blessed Hope, we'll get into that next week. But today, we specifically talk about what Paul says about what they are and how we value them in the service. Helps if I turn it on. All right, here's what he says first. Pursue love. And earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. 
Remember, here's what we said about tongues and prophecy. Tongues is when I am using a language that I don't know. It happens. We've seen it throughout the history of the church. We've seen it in the early church. We even hear about that sometimes, especially on the mission fields today, where people will use a language that they don't know and have no business being able to use. But God will allow them to do that for the purpose of communicating to people that they shouldn't be able to communicate with. We read about it especially in Acts 2. Right? When, when the disciples first go on the day of Pentecost, they, they go to the temple and they're preaching to all of the people that have come from all over, all over the, the ancient uh, Middle East and they've come to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. They speak different languages. The apostles, right, only speak Greek. But what happens is they go and they're speaking and what they speak is heard in everybody's native language. That's a, that, that is a, a, a gift of God. We call that speaking in tongues, right? Sometimes we, we would say speaking in tongues might take on the form of a language that's not known to anyone except to God himself. Speaking in tongues. Prophecy, though, prophecy is when God gives me something to give to all of you. And prophecy has value because right now, Here's what we've got in front of us. We've got a Bible. Right? We, we can open up our Bibles. I can tell you, hey, everybody, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Open up and follow along while we look at this. They, when Paul's writing this, they don't have that benefit. Paul's not saying, hey, open up that letter that I haven't written you yet and look at the 14th part of it and let's all read it together. He can't do that. The letter doesn't exist yet. So what what happens when they get to a church service is they come together and the way God communicated to the church is he would give what we call a word to someone, a prophecy to someone. God would communicate directly to the heart of the prophet and the prophet would speak it. And then it would be discussed and taught and chewed through and learned. And that's how the church would work. So prophecy had value, tongues had value. And so here's how Paul starts the letter. He says, listen, first of all, don't forget, I already told you this, but I'm going to tell you again. Paul repeats himself a lot in this chunk because they're slow to listen. Sometimes we are too. First things first, pursue love. He just spent all of chapter 13 telling them that love was most important. And here he says, pursue love. The word he uses for pursue in the Greek, here's the deal. Don't stalk people. Stalking is bad. It's weird and it's creepy. Also illegal. Don't do it. But the word he uses for pursuing love is the word for stalking. Hunt it. Chase it. Shadow it. Don't let it out of your sight. Yes, it's elusive, but you get it at all costs. Pursue love. Foundational. Love is more important. Pursue love, and then after you've done that, right? After you've done that, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Earnestly desire them. They're good. They come from, they come from the Holy Spirit. They're gifts. Pursue love first. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. But then he says this. Especially. Especially the gift of prophecy. Prophecy, Paul's going to tell us, is better when it comes to corporate worship 
better than tongues. Now, there's something I want us to clarify here. Paul isn't saying necessarily like you, right? Susan Osborne, you should pursue prophecy. He's telling us as a body, when we come together corporately, we as a body should pursue prophecy. Why? Because it's more profitable. That's how God communicates to the church. So he's telling the church in Corinth, look, yes, pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, but in your body, the gifts that you need to accentuate the most inside the body and the corporate worship, the gifts that are going to be most valuable, especially pursue this idea of prophecy. And he's going to tell you why it's more important because, because the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. It's like this. If I spoke French, I do not speak French. I did, however, take four years of French in high school. Anybody here take four years of French in high school? Okay, so I'm going to say this. Corbea. What am I saying? Do you know? Garbage can. I am full of fun little words like that that mean nothing in actual conversation. Check it out. Check it out. Fenetra. That means window. I'm out. That's all I got. But here's the thing. That was four years well spent. But if I were speaking to you in French, right? If I were speaking to you in French, that is not good for you. That actually doesn't help you at all. It doesn't admonish you in truth. It doesn't build you up. It doesn't help you, right? It doesn't encourage you. If I'm speaking to you in French, right? Then really all I'm doing is just talking to God. That's it. Because it doesn't do anything for you. Yes, I'm speaking these wonderful mysteries of the Spirit, but not in a way that they do anything for you. You would just sit there bored. Right? And Paul has already told us that the whole point of a spiritual gift is not so that I can show off how good at French I am. The whole point of a spiritual gift is to edify or build up the church in faith. That's the whole reason it exists. Not for me, but it exists to build up the church. So, one who speaks in tongues, yeah, they're speaking to God, not to men, because nobody understands him. And he's uttering mysteries in the spirit, and that's all fine and good, but there's no way it's actually building up the church, right? On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, their edification, their encouragement, and their consolation. The one who speaks prophecies actually says something from God that people can understand. And so therefore, it's good, and it has value, and it's helpful. So here's what Paul is saying in the first three verses. Love is first. In the context of corporate worship, you want to pursue spiritual gifts But you should pursue prophecy instead of tongues because tongues is limited because tongues is really about you and God, right? Whereas prophecy is for the whole church from God. So while tongues are fine, they're not the most important thing. Now, three verses to tell you that truth. And now he's going to spend the next 22 proving to you that he's right. And because that's what he does, that's what we're going to do, right? We're just going to walk through these and see all the evidence he gives for why this is true. He says, the one who speaks in tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. That makes sense, doesn't it? Right? If I'm like, hey guys, everybody stop. 
I'm going to say some stuff that you can't understand because the Holy Spirit is so powerful in me that I just can't contain it. So just chill out. Everybody watch. And then I do my thing. Has it built you up? No. What has it done? It's made me arrogant. It's puffed me up. It's done something to say, hey, everybody, look at me. Look how awesome I am. But it has in no way has it helped you at all. But if I prophesy and I say, this is what God wants you to know. God wants you to know that on the throne of God above, you have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, who lives for you, who pleads for you, who saves your very soul. That is useful to the church and that builds up the church. Right? Too many church services, whether it's speaking in tongues, whether it's um, pastors going on long soliloquies, whether it's guitar solos, I don't know. Too many churches, though, have too many people that, that make it about them. And it's not about any of us. The reality is that this is kind of plug and play. Right? You could take me out. You could put Pastor David in. And the church should still be edified and build up. You could take both Pastor David I and I out. And you could plug somebody else in with this gift. And the church should be able to continue as is. Right? The point here, right, is that God is glorified when his word is shared in a way that people understand. It says the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. And then he says this, I want you to speak in tongues. There's nothing wrong with speaking in tongues. Some of you have grown up thinking that, that tongues is weird and it's bad, right? Because, you, because maybe because you don't do it. Maybe because you don't do it. Maybe because it doesn't make a lot of sense to you. Maybe because you can't understand it when people say it, it feels weird. So you thought, well, speaking in tongues is just bad. Speaking in tongues isn't bad, right? Paul says, I want you all to speak in tongues. Paul wouldn't say he wanted you to speak in tongues if speaking in tongues was bad. He says, I wish you all did. But even more, I wish you all knew how to prophesy because that's better. It's better for the church when you gather corporately if you do this. The one who prophesies in corporate worship is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. Unless somebody interprets. Because if somebody interprets, then the church might be built up. Right? That, that's why, listen, if I were speaking to you in French, and Madame Bell was here, she was my high school French teacher, who is, I'm sure, dead. She was like a hundred when I was in high school French, and I was in high school French a long time ago. But if she were here or someone like her and I were speaking in French, she could take my words, translate them, and give them to you, interpreting them in a way that you could understand. Then he says, look, prophesying in a corporate context is better than tongues unless somebody is there to interpret what's said. If somebody's there that can interpret what's said, great then you can still build up the church through it. But if not, it has no place. So he's just giving more examples here. He says, so look, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, that won't benefit you, right? Instead, I, I need to come with a revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching. I got to come with something that helps. And he says, this should make sense to you because even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp, if they're not making a distinct note, right, then it's just noise. My kids, oh, bless them. 
they decided, actually Aubrey didn't, that's why, shh, they're not here, that's why she's my favorite, but they decided that they would learn how to play instruments. Listen, that's painful. That's painful. Riley, when she was in fifth grade, God bless her, she decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to play the clarinet. You know what the clarinet sounds like when you're learning how to play the clarinet? (laughs) Nothing good. Nothing good. Now, to her credit, she kept playing that thing right up through 12th grade, and it got better. But then Travis came along in fourth grade. Back in Bettendorf, fourth grade was when orchestra started. And so you go to fourth grade and the orchestra teacher comes in and says, hey, how great is it going to be if you learn how to play the violin? Here's what she says. Chicks dig the violin. She lied. (laughs) No, they don't. But here's what she says. You want to learn how to play the violin? Travis is like, all right, I'll learn how to play the violin. Oh, my goodness. That doesn't sound like anything good. And after a year, he said, you know what? I'm done with the violin. This year, I'm going to play the trumpet. Equally bad. He also quit that after a year. Listen, here's my point, right? You know when when when, when it's not in a note, it's just noise. It's just noise. It doesn't do anything for you. That's what Paul says tongues is like. If there is no one to interpret the tongue, if there is no one to tell you what God is trying to communicate, then it's just noise. It's not helpful at all. In fact, here's the deal. It's actually harmful. If spiritual gifts are supposed to edify and build up the church, think about what's at the other end of that spectrum. Instead of building up, we're tearing down. Paul says we can't have that. It's just noise. And then he uses the bugle. If the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? The same bugle that that sounds a charge, if it's played a different way, sounds a retreat. Right? And so if it's not played with distinction, with clarity, communicating clearly the intent, how do we know if we're charging or retreating? Paul says this just can't work. Tongues without interpretation have no place in corporate worship. He says, and that's the way it is with you. Yeah, that's the way it is with instruments. That's the way it is with the bugle. But that's the way it is with you too. If your tongue, if you utter speech that's not intelligent, how will anyone know what is said? Right? And then he says this, there's doubtless many different languages in the world. None is without meaning, right? But if I don't know the meaning of the language, then I'm a foreigner, to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. We're just not communicating. Paul couldn't be more clear of the issue. So he says this, so with you, church, Corinth, us, Blessed Hope Community Church, since you're eager for the manifestation of the Spirit, right? Since you're eager for spiritual gifts, use ones that help you build up the church, not ones that puff yourself up. So Paul continues to say, there's nothing wrong with tongues, But in the context of corporate worship, if there is no interpretation, then just don't. Just don't. And and we might say, well, then where do we use tongues? If you have the gift of speaking in tongues, 
and you're not supposed to use it in corporate worship without um, order and interpretation, when and where are you supposed to use your gift? That's a fair question. Because Paul's not saying the gift is bad. In fact, he said, I wish you all spoke in tongues. Well, you use it when you are prompted by the Holy Spirit to use it in a way that is in accordance with his word. Here's the thing. The Holy Spirit will never prompt you to stand up, interrupt a worship service by speaking in tongues, right? Unless he has also prompted someone to interpret. It won't work. We're reading from Paul that that's not acceptable. That that's like a clanging gong. It's like a bunch of instruments playing a bunch of random notes that doesn't make any sense. That's not the Spirit of God prompting you to do that. So where do we use these gifts? Well, unless there's interpretation, here's what I would say. I think Paul's clear. You use these gifts privately. Privately or in small, intimate gatherings. I know people who, when praying privately, as part of their praise and worship to God as they pray, they may get to a point where, where they've shifted from using words that they understand to praying from their spirit in words they don't understand. In, in a way that, that they know is connecting them to the heart of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Excellent. Do that. I've talked to one gentleman who would say, you know, when he has prayed and he tries to pray for hours. And when he has prayed and he's exhausted everything he knows how to pray for, there are times where God will move him to pray in tongues that he doesn't understand. But it will continue to sustain him. As he prays for even longer. Awesome. There are times when I've been in my office with two or three people. And we've come around someone to lay hands on them. And to pray for their healing and for their emotions. And in that someone will speak in tongues and pray in tongues that we don't understand. But you know what? It's okay in that context. Because we all know why we're gathered around with hands on praying. But none of that is the corporate worship setting. And there's precedence for that, right? I have a spiritual gift that is best exercised in private. It manifests itself, right? It comes out to you and hopefully helps build up the body. But it starts in private and you don't want any part of it. That would be boring. I have the gift. Listen, as I sit in my office and I, and I, I open my my Greek lexicon, and I, I, I get my language dictionary um, on the computer, and I open um, my, my commentaries and my text, and God has given me a, a very unique gift of being able to read the Word, read the Bible, and, and to be able to understand the, the, the original language and to be able to, to figure out how to discern it, to break it apart, and present it in a way where hopefully it lands. And it, it manifests itself here on Sunday mornings in a public gathering. But the spiritual gift of in-depth study, you don't want to watch that. I mean, what would that be like if I brought a table up here on stage, right, and a chair, and I was like, all right, everybody, you sit down and relax because I'm going to exercise my spiritual gift of studying the Bible while you watch. That would not be good for building up the church. Tongues is no different. Without an interpreter, tongues is no different. So Paul keeps going. He says, therefore, the one who speaks in tongues should pray for interpretation. Because if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? 
I will also pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I'll sing with my mind also. Listen, you should pray for interpretation of tongues, either that God lets you or that he brings someone alongside to interpret. Otherwise, this is what will happen. You will give thanks with your spirit. How can anyone be in a position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he doesn't know what you're saying? Right? You, you can give thanks well enough, but the other person isn't being edified. They're not being built up. So this would be this thing, right? Like, I want to tell you all about the coolest thing that God ever did to me. Right? The, the thing that God did for me. Right? I could tell you about the time when God saved my parents. Like, moved them from death to life. I could tell you about the time that I got to baptize my children. Right? That was pretty cool. I could tell you about a couple of weeks ago when, when I got to see um, a man of God enter into a covenant marriage with my daughter, something I've prayed for since she was 10 years old, even though I didn't know him by name. I could tell you all of those things, and, and I could say, this is worth giving thanks to God for. And you could say, amen, that's awesome. But not if I say it in a language you can't understand. Paul says, how is that ever going to work? The other person won't be built up. He says, yeah, Matt, you'll, you're fine. You're giving God, thanks to God, but nobody else even knows what's happening. He says, I thank God. This is Paul saying, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you. I think in the original Greek, there was a parenthetical statement that said, neener, neener, neener. <laughs> I speak in tongues more than you. Neener, neener, neener. My dad can beat up your dad. Right? This is, this is what this is. Like, I, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you do. Like, in case you thought this was me being jealous, Paul says, I'm not jealous. I'm not telling you that tongues are secondary and they have no business inside corporate worship without interpretation because I'm jealous of you. He says, I can speak in tongues more than you. Right? And I thank God that I can speak in tongues more than you. Why does he thank God? Because it gives him the authority to say this. I can do this. I can speak in tongues. I've been given the gift of this, and I can do it more than you can. But even still, I would rather say five intelligent words. Five words that can be understood by everybody than 10,000 words in a tongue that they won't understand. Brothers, this is now him pleading with them. Don't be children in this. Don't be children in your thinking. Yes, be infants in doing evil. But be wise in your thinking. Be mature in your thinking about gifts. And then he finishes the chunk up. All right, but there's something I want to tell you before. This is a conversation I have with people all the time. They get frustrated because they don't feel like there's room for them to express their spiritual gifts in the context of corporate worship. So they say, well, Matt, I have a spiritual gift of speaking in tongues, and you don't create space for me to use that during a Sunday morning worship service, and so um, I'm frustrated, and, and I don't think it's fair. Here's what I would say. That when God gives you a spiritual gift to use, it isn't for you. It's for the building up of the church. And it is a 24 7, 365 gift. If the only time you're willing to use that spiritual gift, if the only time that you feel like the Holy Spirit is telling you to use that spiritual gift 
is in the roughly 75 minutes that we spend together in corporate worship once a week, then I would venture to say that spiritual gift is not about you. Or it's not about the church. It's about you. That spiritual gift is not something you want to use to build up the church. That spiritual gift is something you want to use to tell everybody that you have it. To make much of yourself. But, but, if, if you're using your spiritual gifts as God prompts you every day, 24 7, 365, then whether there's an opportunity for you to express it in the 75 minutes that we are together, you're not missing out. See, this is, this is the difference in the way that we need to understand this. In fact, I'd venture to say this. If you aren't exercising the spiritual gifts that God has given you outside of the Sunday morning corporate worship service, then God is not interested in you using them here. If you aren't exercising these gifts in your small groups or with your neighbors or with your friends, if you're not using these gifts to build one another up outside of Sunday morning, then God isn't waiting for you to start coming here and using them publicly. If you feel like, if you feel like you're missing out, then I would challenge you. How are you walking in this the rest of the time? These last few verses, Paul just clarifies a couple things. He says, in the law, it's written. By the way, whenever he says, in the law, it's written, that means go back to the Old Testament. He's talking about something that's written in the Old Testament. In this instance, he's quoting something out of Isaiah. He says, in the law, it's written. By people of strange tongues and the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Here's what he's saying. So, so in the time of Isaiah, he lived in between, right? He lived in the southern kingdom of Judah, the northern kingdom of Israel had been wiped out by the Assyrians because they were disobedient. They wouldn't follow God. And so God sent judgment in the form of the nation of Assyria. And the southern kingdom was like, well, that'll never happen to us. We have the temple here. We have the temple of God in Jerusalem. So God will never let anything like that happen to us. And Isaiah, because God told him to, kept saying, you better repent or the same thing will happen to you. You better repent or God will, will discipline you in the same way. You better fix it. But the people kept saying, no, it'll never happen to us. God will never let it happen. We've got the temple. God will never let his temple be captured. God will never let anything bad happen to us. And so finally God said this through Isaiah. You know what it is? It's going to be the strange tongues. The strange tongues will prophesy against them, right? By people of strange tongues and the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people and they still won't listen. What he's saying is pretty soon Babylon is going to walk right into this city and they're going to burn it to the ground and they're going to take these people into captivity. And even while that's happening, the, the Jews are going to say, no, we're fine. We're God's people. Nothing bad will happen to us. And so the point Paul's making here is that tongues, foreign tongues, actually were supposed to be assigned to unbelieving Jews in the first place. Here's how that would work in the church, right? The Jews who would say, I refuse to admit that Jesus is the Christ, right? And, and we're not going to worship him, right? They would have to deal with the fact that all of the Gentiles would come together in their languages and worship 
Because they would recognize the true Son of God, the true Messiah. So Paul says, listen, all of this wanting to speak tongues in the church service, you got to realize all of that was a sign for the unbelieving Jews in the first place. Right? Even so, if the whole church comes together and people start speaking in tongues and an outsider walks through the door, they're going to think you're nuts. This is Paul's point here. He's like, even if, right, if everybody starts speaking in tongues and somebody who's not a Christian happens to walk through the door, they're going to think, man, you guys are out of your minds. They're going to turn around and walk right back out. But instead, if you're prophesying in a language they can understand, then they can hear what God says to them. And it can touch their hearts. This is what it says. They'll be convicted by what they hear. They'll be called to account by what they hear. They'll hear that they are a sinner in need of saving. They'll hear that there is a God in heaven that loves them and pursues them and sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die for them. They will hear that salvation comes by grace through faith when they fall at the foot of the cross and say, I know I need saving. Jesus, I'm turning to you. It says the secrets of their heart will be disclosed and they'll fall on their face and they'll worship God and declare that God is really among you. That's how Paul wraps up this chunk. Simple, it's straightforward. He says in the first three verses, look, love is best, pursue the gifts, but in the context of corporate worship, prophecy is better than tongues unless there's interpretation. Tongues glorify you, And they make it all about you. Prophecy explains God's word to everybody. And then he spends the rest of the time telling you why that's true. And then he reminds us, hey, church is about two things. Two things that lead to one mission. Church is about worshiping God first. Glorifying God, worshiping God. Church is about building up one another in faith. Right? If you're doing something that's not in love and it's not worshiping, that's not building others up, it has no place. Worshiping God, building each other up so that we can be on mission to go make sure that unbelievers can fall on their face, worshiping God, and declare that he is real. That's why we exist. And that's the point of your spiritual gifts. Not about you, but for that reason. Now, next week, as we gather together, we'll talk about, so then, so What? In fact, that's how, that's how Paul starts verse 26. So then, because of this truth, here's how we do it in corporate worship. We'll deal with what Paul says about these gifts in corporate worship. And yes, he does create space for tongues and prophecy in corporate worship within a right framework, right? So we'll talk about what he teaches the church in Corinth, and then we'll talk about how we operate in this here at Blessed Hope, right? But until then, let me just ask you this as we close. Are you, are you walking in your spiritual gift? Are you using it to build up the church? If you're a Christian here today, are you in some way, shape, or form participating somehow in a way that actually builds up the church? It's great that you're here on Sundays. It's cool that I get to see you every now and then. Right? It's cool that you're usually in the same spots if I look around the room. Like, you are where you are. Like, I, I, it's your seat. Nobody will take it from you unless they get here first. 
there was somebody last service that had to sit all the way over here. I think they were devastated. I'm not sure, right? Like, like come in with their heads down low. Like, all right, we'll sit in the front. But here's the deal. It's great that you're there, but that's not what your spiritual gift is for. It's not so that you can come and listen. Your spiritual gift is so that you can participate in the building up of the church. I'm glad you're here, but are you in some way, shape, or form using the gifts that God has given you to build up the church? If you're not, then, then let's have a conversation about what that looks like. Because that's what God is expecting you to do. That's why he has gifted you. So that you can participate in the building up of the church so that we can all be on mission together to bring the hope of Jesus Christ to a broken and hurting world. I'm going to pray for us. Let you get out of here and get on your way with your Mother's Day festivities. Right? And I'm going to encourage you to to have a good time in that. And if you're not here with your mom, call her. Right? Do that. But in the meantime... Um, as we close, I want to just encourage you to be thinking about your gift. Heavenly Father God, you've given us spiritual gifts, not so that we can boast, not so that we can brag, not so that we can puff ourselves up, but God, so that we can participate in the building up of the church. We know that some of that happens on a Sunday morning. We know that much more of it happens throughout the course of a week, every day, day in, day out, as we live lives of worship as we live lives of ministry. So God, I ask that you help us to step into the gifts that you've given us so that we can actively be participating in the building up of the church so that we can all be on mission together uh, to bring a hurting world the hope of Jesus Christ. God, as we close today, I want to thank you for, um, as Pastor David did, for the mothers in our congregation, um, both services online. Father, I want to thank you for those that... um, have gone out of their way to mother even people that aren't theirs, um, just to extend themselves and to pour the grace of God out on the lives of other people. Thank you for the impact that people like that have had in my life, um, in the lives of my children, and, and in, um, in the body in general. Uh, God, we love you, and we praise you, and we thank you. Amen.